Good morning. My name is March Twisdale, and I'd like to thank you for listening. As the producer and host of Prose Poetry and Purpose, for almost five years now, it's been a pleasure and an honor to share the inspirational and insightful views of my many guests. Of course, the views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the board, staff, underwriters, or donors of Voice of Vashon. As an organization, VOV does not take political positions. We do, however, support our show hosts and their guests in expressing their views so long as they are not obscene or hate-mongering. All of us here at Voice of Ashon, thank you for listening. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that Prose Poetry and Purpose is recorded in the studios of Voice of Ashon and broadcast on 101.9 FM, KVSH. Learn more at voiceofashon.org or at my personal website, marchtwisdale.com, where this show and all previous shows can be found as a podcast. Today I'm interviewing David Masick, Executive Director of Northwest Earth Institute. Dude, could you tell everyone sort of who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. as you said, I'm executive director of Northwest Earth Institute, and we are a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon, um, with a national reach. We provide tools and learnings for um, addressing issues of sustainability within communities, schools, and organizations across the country. All right, and now you're up here, literally in the studio with me on Vashon, mm-hmm. because you're en route to where? So I am heading up this afternoon to Port Townsend, and there's a special event happening up there uh, where the community used our programs to do a uh, pretty large-scale engagement with their residents. Were you involved in the first stage, or like, are you going to be involved in each stage of this larger process that we were talking about earlier? So I wasn't involved in the first stage. Uh, that happened in 2013, uh-huh. and there was a few hundred residents that were engaged. Um, basically, the process was uh, using one of our course books on food, where um, the efforts of, of um, bringing together farmers in the community with residents that were consuming the food so that they could create more connection and know about where their food is coming from. Okay. Um, and so this is a follow-up to that. It's a second uh, stage of engagement. So over the course of, of these two um, projects, there'll be probably over 500 residents and, and farmers engaged in this process. And did you say there's a third stage planned already? Um, there's a follow-up. There's a steering committee that's being developed, and okay. um, we're still determining what, what we'll be doing next, but there is definitely a lot of momentum to keep the, the work going. Okay, okay. We're going to get into some more details about this, folks. I, I sort of dove in there real quickly because um, what's really cool is that, of course, people who are in Port Townsend right now have a real sense of what's going on, mm-hmm. and um, some of them might have some questions. I want to just throw that out there right at the beginning of the interview. Um, so we're going to be talking—we've got beautiful lists of sort of topics to cover here. We'll do—some of it's going to be issue-focused, some is history-focused and whatnot. Um, so why don't we go ahead and start— I think with a little bit of the history of Northwest Earth Institute, just in brief, give us a sense of, I guess, you know, people talk about mission statements and all that, but really what was it that the founding people wanted to achieve and do they perhaps feel like they've achieved it at this point? Yeah. Um, so we are in our 25th year. Uh, we were founded in 1993 by a couple uh 
Dick and Jean Roy in Portland. And um, if you're around the city and, and you don't have to go too far to, to hear about them or be connected to some work that they've basically have been um, volunteers and working on environmental issues for the last 25 years. And their names again are? Dick and Jean Roy. Dick and Jean Roy, R-O-Y. Yes. Okay, awesome. Yes, that's correct. Um, and you might see a lot of organizations celebrating 25 years right now, and um, that's because 1992 was a significant year where we had the Rio Earth Summit. So um, in the environmental movement and the climate movement, there was a lot of attention brought internationally to that issue, and a lot of organizations started springing up across the country. Um, sort so, of like when you had Silent Spring was published mm -hmm. and you had an upsurge of awareness. There's a lot of things that might harken back to that period of time as being their birth time. Yeah. And then you're saying that also something new happened in 1992. Be a little bit more clear. What was it that happened in 92? So the Rio Earth Summit. Rio. Yeah, Rio. Oh, right. I couldn't tell yes. if it was Rio or real. R Rio. And Rio. Um, that was you know initiated by the United Nations, bringing all mm -hmm. countries together. Um, to talk about um, various uh, resolutions or commitments around uh, the changes in the climate that they that um, everybody was seeing. So, okay, so in Rio, um, there was this huge international coming together and discussion of this. Yeah. And then people, sort of a trickle down of awareness and people around the world in their local communities started to say, what actions can we take? How can we respond? Exactly. We can't wait for some high-level politician to pass a law that changes corporations so that everything's made better and I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. It's the opposite. We got to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So how, how, how can you localize, um, mm -hmm. you, you know, the issues that were being talked about? And so Dick and Gene, um, along with um, some early committed volunteers, started to get together and form circles of of, of uh, dialogue around various issues. Um, and our organization was born from that. Um, we, we started hosting lunch and learns with uh, organizations throughout the city. And um, over the next, oh, throughout the 90s, we started to develop curriculum that could facilitate these dialogues. And so we talk about in our learning model about creating connection, reflection, and action. And that, that's a cycle of a learning process that um, that we have seen be very successful in in creating transformation and in change. On pretty much any issue, once people are able to connect and realize they share an interest in the issue, and then they can reflect on it, share those ideas back and forth, grow their ideas, and then they are at the point where they could actually take an action that has the likelihood of achieving a desired outcome is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, our, and, and that's the, true for black lives matters. It, that's true for any type of mm -hmm. human social change. Those three things is what you're suggesting sort of are necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to do that in community means that you have a circle of support around you. It means that when you're making a commitment that, um, that commitment is being seen by others. So you have that responsibility to yourself and the goals that you're setting out to achieve and also that that circle of community around you. So uh, there's a really, uh, uh, you know, something it really positively reinforces um, the change process that's happening. Um, so, yeah, we, we continued to do that for, for several years. And um, as as we grew and had more success, we um, started getting knocks on the door from 
people all around the country um, saying, can we use your your tools, your books to engage our communities? Mm-hmm. Um, and so around the turn of, of the century, uh, early 2000s, we launched a national network of uh, regional earth institutes. Um, and even today, there's still over 30. Regional, so you're Northwest. And yeah. then the others would be Southwest, North Africa, wherever it is, they... <laughs> but it's still Earth Institute. Yeah, yeah. And and so we were holding this region, but we were definitely the umbrella for all of the work happening in regions across the country. So the name's a little misleading. We were born here, but our our work is definitely uh, nationally uh, Only national or international? Well, um, as we get into our Eco Challenge program, um, in the fall last year, we had over 83 countries. Uh, well, we had 83 countries that um, participate in the challenge, so... Right, right, right. Yeah. So I'm looking at the website here, folks. I, I like to, I always love to do this. Like, I don't want to see the book too. Give me the book. Give me the book. Okay. Here. All right. Okay. Three copies. So on the, this, these are all three different ones, right? Yes. All right. Okay, cool. All right. So this one up here on top, so on the website, folks, it is nwei.org. Of course, you can Google it. Northwest Earth Institute popped right up there, but mm-hmm. nwei.org. And what's cool is that it was flashing through like some images and different things. And sure enough, this is your new 2018. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at this book, folks. It's sort of like, um, it's like the size of a, you know, those books that have recipes in them, cookbooks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Choices for Sustainable Living. That sure looks like Denmark to me. Where is that? It might be. It's it might it's be. it's a stock image, so oh, we do yeah, not yeah. know the location. Or <laughs> or that looks like one of the canals in Amsterdam. Yeah. I was there last summer. Yeah. I feel like I've been on Bikes that bridge. Everywhere, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So it looks like you basically have so choices for sustainable living. Is this like the main title of the book you guys release and you just have different issues for each year? Or does each curated book, and we'll get into that in a minute, have a different title as well? Yeah, each each book has its own title. Okay, okay. Uh, so that book you're holding, Choices for Sustainable Living, is our, our most popular book um, over, this is now in its eighth edition. Okay, 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 got it. Cool. So yeah, Choices, it's on here, the new edition. Got it. All right, so... So let's see here. Choices for sustainable living. As you said, what you guys do, rather than trying to create um, fresh, new, written content in a world that is just dripping in brilliant Mm -hmm. content Mm -hmm. everywhere, you actually go to people who maybe they're published, maybe they aren't, whatever, but they've got really great ideas worth disseminating throughout the world. And you'll work with those people. Yeah. And that's what this is. Yeah. So every, Tell us more. Sure, sure. Every book has a, a topic that it addresses. Um, this book, Choices for Sustainable Living, is our broad approach to sustainability. So it will address issues such as food, transportation, uh, materials and waste, uh, community building, water. Uh, so this one you know, covers it all. Um, but the way we go about publishing our books is we seek out the best content to um, bring together into a, a learning process. So, um, and and the publishers of this content um, are anywhere from your small blogger that no one's probably heard about, but the content is rich and perfect, and we want to use it to, you know, to um, 
to accomplish a point. And then uh, from, from the small blogger all the way up to, you know, some of our mainstream um, magazines and, mm-hmm. and publishers out and they're there. They're all articles. Yes. Do you take, um, sometimes people who like uh, George, I can't pronounce his name right, so people out there who speak French or whatever it is can laugh at me, but I say George Monbiot. It's uh, yeah. M-O-N-B-I-O-T, I think. And um, he he always comes up, the Guardian has him on a regular basis, and even though he writes mostly articles, he then has published books, which are sometimes a compilation of articles. Yeah. So would you also take content from someone who's written a book? Yeah, yeah, we do book excerpts as well excerpts. so okay, wendell cool. berry paul hawken um uh you know a, a lot of the mm-hmm. you know uh people that you would reference as environmental writers of the last few decades so for my audience members out in the world yes i know who you are because sometimes you come up and talk to me at thriftway um for those folks out there who are writers who are mm. producing content and have something they really want to share um, how would they get a hold of you if they actually wanted to submit something? Sure. Well, um, visit our website. Uh, I think it's first to get first step is to get a good sense of of the topics that we cover, mm-hmm. a little bit more about the process of of what our work looks like. Um, but other than that, I mean, we have uh, go to our contact page and Got send it. us an email. We'd be happy to talk with you. And that's really you know that openness to partner to collaborate Mm -hmm. is really what has fueled our organization for the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's what we've excelled in and and how we've been able to, you know, leverage this small nonprofit into a a very, um, big reach and, and impact in the world. What I really actually like about the fact that you're only 25 years old is that you're sort of babies in a way compared to maybe the Sierra club or Greenpeace or some other organizations. And, um, even World Wildlife Fund, I think, is much older. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's bad for those organizations to get older, but I think there are there's different. You know, it's like um, some a millennial is different from a baby boomer. Let's face it. Yeah. In most cases, so um, I th- I think it's really cool that you guys are are still sort of young in that way. So, folks, here I'm flipping through this this book, and a couple of things that come to mind for me is it definitely it you pick this book up and you don't feel like you're going to be told a whole bunch of stuff that you should start doing differently. I mean, you know, really, you know, come on. That is not what it feels like when I pick this book up, you know. does It feels instead like the first thing I did when I flipped through is I hit something. There's lots of um, images, graphs, but there was also places where I felt like um, tools for helping me to figure out how to engage differently. It feels very much like a workbook, I guess, might be a way to put it. Yeah. But it's not a workbook with a bunch of blank spaces where you're supposed to fill out a bunch of questions. It's, what is this? A teaching well, workbook? I mean, how do you describe this? This is yeah, unique. Yeah. We, I mean, we call it our discussion course books. And um, dry. so it's, it, it's, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> That's dry. <laughs> it's way there better than that, guys. Pro Bono, um, <laughs> you know, branding and, and marketing specialists out there. Also see our contact page. Um, But yeah, so what we try to do with our books is really um, facilitate a learning process that's fun, that's social. Um, You know, some of our principles are meeting people where they are, uh, focusing, you know, uh, focusing on something that's significant to you, relevant to you, and, and really inside out transformation, because that's 
when change is going to stick. If you have, we always talk about these aha moments in our work. Mm -hmm. And it's really, if you can capture that aha moment at the right time, it's kind of just like the most important bookmark that you now, hopefully, when you're making decisions in the future, you, you reference that more and more. I think we can all relate to that. I mean, there all of us in our life have something where we can't even explain why necessarily, but we something hit us, that aha moment, and we never forgot it. Yeah. And we had, I think the other thing about an aha moment is that it's not like, oh, I understand in my head. Aha moments hit us in, in our gut and our heart as well. Mm-hmm. And now we have an an actual authentic internal motivation to want it to be be different yeah it's yeah. not like a lecture from our little brain right it's and, different. And, and, and you know there's there's the uh the blessing and the challenge with that because the blessing is now you have this newfound value and energy passion passion and also you can't turn it off you know once you have that flame is lit um you, you, it's now there so whether and if you, you ignore it follow you, yeah whether you follow through on the action or not you know you're going to have a new reference point right and you're either going to feel um really positive about the actions that you continue to take or you might start feeling guilty you know yeah but it'd be your own guilt it's not <laughs> yeah. someone else doing it to yeah. you it's like yeah yeah like when i <clears throat> and, and that's yeah the, i've got my little list of those things sure people. <laughs> and, and that's the that's the process of change too is if yeah. you're in a a safe and welcoming, supportive environment. Um, those times where you might feel the guilt, it's it's trying to to flip that to say, mm-hmm. "All right, I missed this one. Let's let's do the next one." Um, and so that's when when you're having that change process happen um, for yourself. It's one thing to read this book alone, but when you do it with a, a group of people, and especially if there's a, a shared community, whether it's in your workplace or like Port Townsend, where you have a group of people in the community, those aha moments that we might have individually are seen by others. Mm -hmm. And then when we have a collective aha moment, you know, it's not only individual value shifting, but there's a culture uh, shift and change that happens as well. All right. I recently interviewed someone who came to the island just a few months ago. His name's Don Stewart. And he wrote a book. uh, Oh, the title of the book is sort of like... um, Barnyards and Birkenstocks, because he worked here in the state of Washington in Olympia as um, a lobbyist, mm-hmm. trying to help the farming community connect with the environmental protection com- you know, community. And, and he found it so interesting and frustrating that people who actually shared a true common interest, something that would benefit both of them, would sometimes be misdirected by groups that wanted to cause them to focus on their differences and and keep them separate so that they couldn't actually move forward and achieve their goals. And I think, okay, out there in the world, everyone listening right now, I know you've had the same experience I have had where there's that brother-in-law or, right, you know where I'm going with this, that person who just has like the most egregious political viewpoint on some issue and you just wish there was some way you could get through to them some piece of information that for them would click and create an aha moment so they would stop spouting the rhetoric they heard on the mm-hmm. angry radio show. I don't care if it's liberal or, or conservative. There are angry people who spout nasty things in all directions. If they would just stop for a minute and have that aha moment, and what you know is if they could connect with you just a little bit, 
suddenly they would see you have common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has common ground for mm-hmm. one way or another. And I think our, our value as an organization, you know, our, our, our guiding, guiding way of, of doing our work is starting with that common ground. Um, I, I've had personal experiences. We were up at a, um, a retreat for our staff and it was actually, it was up in the mountains by Mount Hood mm-hmm. and we, outside of Portland and there was a big snowstorm that happened and we actually had to get picked up, uh, and brought over to the house we were staying at cause we couldn't use our cars. And the person that I think it was a tow truck, um, the driver asked us, Oh, what kind of work do you do? Cause they knew we were up here on the staff retreat. And we kind of described what we were talking about and, and he perceived it as, oh, you're an environmental org. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you're not going to log what I do in the, in the summer. You know, I'm a logger. And we said, well, actually, we, we would love to talk with you. You know, we, that, that's our process about getting people in the room together and mm-hmm. starting with a conversation um, because there isn't going to be a world where we're not logging, right. you know? So it's, it's staying away from those extremes and meeting in the middle and then seeing where it goes from there. Because if you, in my graduate work, um, we uh, studied a process around group facilitation and it involved what we call the three C's. Uh, it was about creating connection. And then with enough connection, you can go into chaos, which is where the transformation happens, <sighs> leading into deeper consciousness. And then you start it over again. So there, it's a spiral of work. Um, but if you don't start with connection, the group is either going to um, become stale because what's what's the investment in it or um, there's going to be people acting out. Those are the two kind of ways that so there's chaos that comes from that, but it's not healthy chaos. Well, and, and in a way, you're, when when you say first we need connection is the word, right? Mm. OK, so. I interviewed another guy. You can tell I interview people who have incredibly good ideas and they affect my life. So this other guy, um, Christian Albrecht from Denmark, PhD, and the work that he was focused on was trust levels. Mm. And he was looking at the trust levels in America and Britain, which are quite low as a society right now. They were high in the 60s. Mm. They plummeted over the past 50 years, 60. And then you looked at Denmark and Sweden where trust levels are really high. Mm. And so I, I... we have had all this immigration that's happened in the past few years with all the environmental problems they're having in Syria and other things like that in countries in Northern Europe where the trust levels are pretty high. So you have pretty good connection within the people of Denmark or Sweden or Norway or Finland or whatever, yeah. even though they're struggling with the chaos of having all these people showing up they're, I would say, working together to deal with the issue. And then we have the immigrant issue or question in the United States where trust levels are sort of low. We may not feel like we have a lot of connection. Is that the word? The first word was not connection. Yeah. Yeah, connection. And so it seems like chaos is splintering our country apart rather than drawing us together to solve a problem. It feels like we're becoming more and more alienated. Yeah. It may be because we just weren't, we hadn't taken care of step one. Yeah. And, and how much energy when we become polarized, you know, how much energy is wasted in just fighting for our side of the wall? Um, mm. So it, rather than if you had that connection, if that wall didn't exist, um, bringing people together 
to know that there's difference there. Mm-hmm. We, we know that we have to work through some stuff, um, but we're doing it together mm-hmm. and we're using our energy with solutions in mind rather than protection of the group that we're a part of. It's like um, a healthy family versus a dysfunctional family. Yeah. If you know, you can have total chaos, but if you know that no matter what mom and dad have your back, that's different than if for much of your childhood, mom and dad didn't have your back. Yeah. What happens then when chaos occurs? Yeah. And right? I think the normalizing of that, you know, um, I, m- my wife and I, we have a unbelievable marriage and, and at the same time, chaos happens but (laughs) of course um you know human and alive yeah 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 and and i think to to go in with the assumption that it has to be all good or it's bad is 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 certainly not a good place to operate from and um and just having the tools the capacity that when something comes up Mm -hmm. we know how to work through it and 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 in the community in our schools in a lot of places in society um, those tools aren't uh, developed in in a way that I think we re- really need. It's that, you know, sometimes people will say, they'll ask the question, what's the point of working on something at the local level? And I don't mean just the fact that you're working on it, but those people know they're also talking about the idea of having to work with their fellow local people, mm-hmm. you know. And they'll say, what's the point of doing that? Because even if we fixed everything here on Vashon Island, let's say, let's say everything was perfect and we weren't causing any problems at all, the world is still having a, a huge problem and we've made no dent mm-hmm. whatsoever. But that point right there is that when you choose to invest in your local community, you're choosing to strengthen the connections within your local community so that when chaos happens from what it could be an earthquake doesn't have to be human caused Mm -hmm. disaster it could be you know a plague it could be anything that when disaster or chaos occurs you're automatically coming at it from a stronger position so if a person says what benefit am i going to get if the world's still going to be destroyed no matter how great things are here the reality is the benefit you get is that every chaotic moment that comes along will be handled more effectively healthier better because you're a mo- more connected and cohesive community. Yeah. So maybe we can't solve the world's problems, but we're still getting an immediate return on our investment, so to speak, I think, when we focus on local. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, there's all types of resources that I think uh, a local community wants to invest in and, and um, be able to sustain over time. And, and I think tending to those social community resources that are a little tougher to... You know, they're a little more intangible to, to actually put your finger on. Um, and, and maybe on a daily basis, um, it isn't magnified as much. But, you know, within a, yeah, like you said, a disaster, um, that's certainly going to be a, a test where um, I'd rather be in that, in that community, you know, that has invested the time. Just in, like you'd rather be in the healthy marriage. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Or the healthy family or Mm -hmm. yeah, our human connections and the health of those relationships affect our ability to overcome, endure and survive the chaotic moments. Mm. I like that. Okay. So we went a little bit sideways, (laughs) but that was all really great. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. So let's see here. So we have the history. That's thank you. So I'm like 
getting more and more excited about uh, Northwest Earth Institute as the interview goes on. Yay, 25 mm-hmm. years, you guys have done it. Um, then you focus on two main things basically throughout the year. Um, one category of focus is discussion courses. I want you just to really quickly sort of let our listeners know how outreach between Northwest Earth Institute and community is sort of occurs so that those things happen. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is you have, I think it's a twice a year eco challenge. Mm -hmm. All right. So go ahead and just lay that out so people understand it. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. Sure. Sounds good. Uh, So as far as our discussion course books, um, these are resources available to everyone. Um, We have various partners and, and community circles that we outreach through, but anyone can find us. Anyone can get going with a discussion course. Um, it's about just getting a group of people together and, um, our books are available on the website. We have a selection of, I think 10 published books right now. Um, dealing, are these those things, uh, those are three of the 10. Yes. Okay. So these are the discussion course books. books yes. Okay. And if a group on Vashon, a bunch of people who, you know, 29, 12, 300, I mean, is there like a number of people that you only will work with so many people? Or it's uh, not like that. Yeah, it's kind of like the the natural laws of organizing. And, yeah. and, you know, if our process is about everybody having a voice in the circle, um, we always talk about at least six, you know, six people coming together is going to be enough, hopefully enough diversity in the room where you're going to see um, some different perspectives and learn from each other um, all the way up to um, we do online webinars. We actually have one coming up in May that will be. Um, focusing on the choices for sustainable living. And um, we will have right. uh, up to 200 people sign on for that, um, which is a little, you know, totally different environment than right. doing it in person. Right. But um, if, if you get a bigger group together, say like Port Townsend, they had a few hundred residents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe they broke down into groups of 12 to 15. Yeah. Um, so th- each of those circles are having their own experience. And then there's connection among all the right. all the circles. Okay, so we've got um, you brought three of your books, yes. three of your ten. Okay, yes. One is called Seeing Systems: Peace, Justice, and Sustainability. So someone says, "I'm really concerned about um, institutionalized racism in America." This book maybe yeah. would address environmental justice issues. All right, yeah. okay, and so then they might be like. I want to get together with a group of people who care about this and this book is going to be like, it's like a book group almost, you yeah. know, and by exploring all this, cause like what's going on when it comes to peace relates to what's going on with justice relates to what's going on. You know, it doesn't have to just be micro micro focused on exactly your issue. Cause you can yeah. glean value from side stories of, right. Oh, for, uh, definitely. Um, we definitely have a, systems lens to our work we're always looking to see how you know if you're zooming in on one issue how that's connected to the whole web of other issues out there and i think when we look at the field of sustainability or the field of climate um that has been the work in the last five to ten years you've seen um you know climate justice sprout up and um you know how affordable housing ties into, you know, there's all these issues are all connected. Um, and, 
and so yeah, that's that's definitely a lens we take to our work. Well, I live on Vashon. Everyone who lives on Vashon who is listening to this show right now is probably thinking everything I'm thinking, which is that we've got a bunch of groups of people on different issues yeah. that are struggling in a way on to try to come together and figure out how to organize. I'm thinking there's this one group on Facebook that someone recently created having to do specifically with climate change. I think they have like maybe 300 people that have joined the group. Mm. So if they wanted to, instead of just chatting at each other and sort of throwing out ideas about things on Facebook, those people could say, hey, do you have a book that specifically could inform and support our process yeah. so we become more effective at our goal of local organizing in a way that takes actions that can help with the climate issue? Is that sort of the that's Perfect. It. Okay, 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 okay. All right. So, and affordable housing. Vashon, come on, man. Like what? 50% of you out there are completely wanting us to deal with this. I think we may have a tool here. What What book would you recommend for a group that said our, you know, we have major problems with affordable housing? Which of the 10 books touches upon that maybe? Yeah, Seeing Systems is probably... Uh, a good a good one to to look at and then i would say choices for sustainable living as well just because that's a, a broad approach and it kind of touches on a lot of different things right. um, we have a few books so the other you book you're holding simply in a complex world i mean it you know if you can live more simple it's less expensive yeah i guess yeah and and you know a lot of studies out there show that if you really want to make an impact um right. if you're looking at you know the five r's or something you know uh recycle reuse you know, refuse. Mm -hmm. There's, there's 20 R's. I don't know. They keep going, <laughs> but, but, but there is, you know, the, the most powerful thing you'd do is not buy that or yeah. not, you know, so, um, that's what Avoid that void the need to reuse. Cause you didn't bring it in, in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know simple living and not only does, does a more simple, in that beautiful way of using the word, an intentional, chosen, simple way of living, lighten our footprint on the world. But it also, I don't think there's a single human on the planet who would disagree that it's going to improve your health. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, instantly, it's like how many of us, we get, oh, we're mad at Big Pharma, but we're the ones who are living a life that causes us to believe we need to buy the drugs that they're selling. Well, if you don't need you know, the drugs are selling because you changed how you lived. Yeah. That's a win-win for, for you in many ways. Yeah. Right? And that, that's, uh, you know, that's focusing. We know the systems that we're a part of, and there's also personal responsibility in the, in those mm -hmm. systems, personal behaviors. Um, one of the things that hit me the other day is we, so we have, um, we have minimal buses on the Island now. And this is true for many places out there in the world. There are a lot of you who are probably listening who are not on Vashon. And right now I'm getting all excited about things that are related to Vashon. But I know this is true in many other places in the world as well. Um, so mass transit, this idea that we need to increase mass transit. When people talk about that, what do we usually mean? More buses, more trains, more light rails. You know, we want more of these vehicles that carry lots of people around at one time. Mm. So we have less individual vehicle use. Okay. Um, or more bikes or walking or whatever. Um, and I'm on Vashon, which is an island that has ferry north end and south end of the island and very little bus traffic. So most places on the island you can't get to by bus. And the few corridors you can get to, the buses are rare. And I'm driving along with all these other people who are in their cars. We're in vehicles that have seats 
and most of the seats of most of those vehicles do not have humans in them. Mm. And we're all going, we all know where we're going. We're all going to the North End Ferry because it's 9.20 in the morning and there's a 9.40 ferry. And with all those cars going up that road, we all know where they're going. 98% of them are going yeah. to the ferry. Okay. And I drive by this person who's standing on the side of the road next to a bus stop. One human waiting for the bus. Now, it suddenly hit me, that aha moment. And I haven't been able to shake it. I was like, why is that person, it was raining, cold, wet, dark, rainy. Why is that person still standing in the rain waiting for a bus when every vehicle passing could take her exactly where she needs to mm -hmm. go? And I suddenly realized Vashon Island has the most perfect mass transit system it could ever want. We are covered in vehicles that are going everywhere at all times. But most of us are scared, uncomfortable, or unsure of how to mm. hitchhike and catch mm. a ride with someone. Mm. And I, it's been on my mind. I've been like, we really should be able to say to King County, we don't need your buses anymore. We figured it out. We're just car sharing. Yeah. You know, we're seat sharing. You know, I mean... And I was like, how do we do that? Yeah. How do we do that? How do we do that, people? Someone please make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you could take that example and, you know, look at, so if we're sticking with cars, I think there's some stat I just saw where it's over 90% of of the time for a car is it's not used. Mm. Um, but also you think of your home, you know, how many of us have extra square footage that um, when we think of a housing crisis, you know, how are we mm -hmm. using that? And, and in our home, we had our best friends and their baby that's um, 15 days apart from, from our daughter who's turning one next week. Congratulations. Amazing time. Yes. Um, they were moving out to Portland and we said, come on, we got we got a, a spare bedroom, mm -hmm. live with us. And so we're living communally. There's obviously um, challenges with that and you just, but we have the connection to negotiate and figure things out um mm -hmm. to and deal then with the chaos to deal with the chaos <laughs> and there's the overwhelming amount of benefits with that we have a whole shared meal system we have coverage for babysitting you know there's all these mm -hmm. things that um and we've been lucky enough to be part of different communities and and learning over time where that has been normalized where that is a, available to us as an option to say yeah, come live together. There's nothing weird about that. It's it's mm -hmm. it's actually going to be a, a wonderful experience. And um, easier than if your friends were down the street struggling to pay rent yeah. for a place. And when you got together, you were hearing about the distress in their marriage sure. and the struggle to pay the bills. And you were struggling. And, you know, everyone can struggle in their isolation or we can become more at ease in our collaboration. Yeah, and then thrive and thrive together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's there's so many wins with it right know, from, right and and when you look at um environmental footprint you know we're automatically not cutting in half but pretty near Bill pretty, you are. pretty pretty darn close yeah, yeah. you're gonna yeah. eat your house anyways now it's one house instead of two mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so okay so we have a sense we of, diverge again i know that's what we do on this, <laughs> is this show. gonna be a marathon are we gonna do a, a we'll do a six hour show or what well no i mean we're, we're doing great we okay. are doing great um so <laughs> I, and i can always have you back again if i need to cool Alrighty, so you have curated collections of literary work which are turned into basically discussion 
course books that sort of focus on specific areas, which makes it easier for people who say, this is the hot button issue that we want to focus on. Okay, people get together and all that. And um, they can go to the website. It is obviously, you've been around 25 years, the website's excellent. Folks, you know, you can learn about us, where we work, discussion course books right there. Then we get into Eco Challenge, which we'll talk about in a minute. And you have also custom solutions. Mm. I'm a little curious about what that means. Yeah. So for our custom solutions, we work with uh, universities, we work with businesses um, that have a big enough community that they might be looking for a custom course or with Eco Challenge, a custom experience. Um, That's what just flashed across the screen. It said something about like you'd worked with, I think, Starbucks and other... Yeah, we've we've, we've worked with a lot of... um, (laughs) You know, small and and large. You know, everything from your your corner business to uh, multinational organizations. Um, so okay, our, so custom means you t- tending to specific goals of say an organization. Um, okay. That yes, our our books cover enough, but then they're looking to add something else or or address something that's specific to their uh, their work. So you work with Intel, Starbucks, you've worked with MetLife, other groups or whatever. It sounds like basically you went to them and they said, all right, the book's great, but we would like you to help us really hone the focus of the book to these specific issues in our workplace. Yeah. And you're just saying basically you work with people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Cool. All right. So um, there's some super exciting stuff coming up, everybody, mm-hmm. which is that um, you may have already heard about a book that it, when did it come out came out april of of 2017 so okay, coming so up on been, one year is it still in the um, bestseller list I, I believe it is yeah and it hit top didn't it um it top for environmental book i know it's a new york times bestseller i don't know exactly yeah. how that but whole system works some goal it achieved it, way beyond what the original attentions were okay yeah. so the whole world everyone is aware pretty much we have major problems and there's also one of the big problems is that we're not getting the effective leadership that we need. The solutions are not coming from the top to the bottom. Mm. Okay. So more and more people in the world are interested in being empowered to make a difference. Draw Down is the title of a book that launched almost exactly a year ago. Mm-hmm. It's been explosively successful. Everyone, I'm going to be interviewing someone from Drawdown actually next week, and you're going to be able to hear their show in the next couple of weeks as well. So we're doing this sort of a tag team back-to-back. And thank goodness Drawdown agreed to work with you guys. Tell Mm. us a little bit about how you connected with them. Because in this case, it's almost like you're using Drawdown as... Yeah. It's almost like it's your discussion it, book, but also this is part of a thing you do, which is called an eco challenge. Yeah, so tell so, us about your eco challenges. Yeah, so I'm I'll start with just describing what eco challenge is. Yes. Um, and so we 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 got a real good idea of what discussion course books are. Yeah. Um, eco challenge kind of complements it in in so many different ways, where our discussion courses focus on transformative learning. Eco challenge. It's an online platform. Um, that focuses on behavior change. There's also transformative learning elements to it, but the goal of it is to have a fun and social way for people to take action, receive feedback on those actions, and um, it's gamified. So you are gamified. 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 You know, yeah. 
good. It's okay, a, okay. I love it. Go ahead. Um, so so um, there's social competitions. Uh, people are creating teams. They're joining. They're taking action. And everybody... Um, so it's basically the, a, a way of scoring. Yeah. So you get points for a number of different things that you can do okay. on the platform. Um, the major focus of that being the actions that you're taking to develop new behaviors around sustainability. So for example, you've been thinking about it for a long time that you could bike to work. It's you know a few mm-hmm. miles, but you just haven't developed the habit. So mm-hmm. Eco Challenge is an opportunity to, with, with thousands of other people, okay. um, taking these steps for new actions that you're gonna design this three-week challenge to create that new habit. Okay, okay, okay. So we all have heard the idea that it takes 21 days to create a new habit. Yes. Okay. And this platform is does not require people to be part of a group. Like if I wanted to do a discussion book thing with a group of people, I got to go find my group of people. Ego challenge is something that an individual all on their own, living in a red state where no one else agrees with them, <laughs> could log online and participate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a, is it, and also groups of people can do it? Sure. Yeah. So our, our, um, we have every event has a community team. So if you are that individual, um, which I would, I would, uh, counter that thought with, I think you still could get a few people together. I'm sure you could. And Common ground and is there. And yes. it's, it's online. Um, so it's easy to, you know, you could do it with friends and family across the country that you could just start your own team and get a handful of people together. So that's so the power don't of technology. Have to, it's not just locally focused. No, no. The, the groups can form in all different ways. So you could have a school, a university. We have Penn State, Portland State University, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of schools across the country. You could have an organization. Okay. That, Okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. Okay. Like I play computer games. Yeah. And a lot of computer games, you've got friends that are from like different states and sure. time zones and all over. So like I could go in and talk to my PUBG friends yeah. who are in different time zones and states and countries and say, "Hey, let's do this thing together." Yeah. And you could do that. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. He, okay. For example, Rob Greenfield. I don't know if you ever come across his work. Um, he's kind of a, a minimalist. Has done a lot of fun. He actually. Um, he was out this way where he had biked across the country mm-hmm. um, and just promoting different sustainable living uh, habits. But he has a large Facebook group, a few hundred thousand people. Oh. And he got a team together. He had 600 people join. And they were from countries all across the world. So, so you could go to your Facebook you could go anywhere. and say, yeah. hey, I'm going to do this, everyone. Okay. Yeah. So I'm noticing here on the page, I looked up eco challenge on in the search box of northwest earth institute which everyone you can find this at nwei.org and even though it's birthed in the northwest at this point you're really quite national and even have some international Mm -hmm. effects and ties okay and there's like um i could click on this there's a nwei's eco challenge from 2016 there's 2017 so give me a sense of like what you've what you've uh, focused on yeah. in the past, sure, and explain the focus of the drawdown. Yes. Okay. So the quick short story with Eco Challenge: We're actually in our tenth year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was born as uh, so. Not too many people know this, but the Sustainathon was the original name of it, and it was actually about fundraising and people getting pledges for taking big action. Um, oh, but then we realized that people were saying, "Wow, I'm really." having this 
big change in behavior and learning so much from it. So we made a, a pivot several years back to say, this is actually a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been running an annual program every October. Um, up and through 2015, it was just once a year. And it was really in 2016 where we said, we have something here. We know how um, digitally inclined, especially younger generations are. There's a power of technology that I would say we are in a different, uh, a special place too as a small nonprofit. There's so much more that nonprofits could be using technology to facilitate change. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's take a risk. Let's take some of these some of the assets that we had and we did a big redevelopment of the platform to Mm -hmm. say um to and launched it with the idea of scaling in mind um so fast forward a year and a half we've moved participation from four thousand a year to we're projecting forty thousand this Mm -hmm. year so we've seen 10 times the growth just in uh, 18 months yeah yeah 2016 was a good year to get started on on this new platform because so many more people were waking up in that year yeah and, and so what we, how our kind of annual schedule looks now is we have two big public events. So there's mm-hmm. a spring challenge, which is coming up and we're going to talk about drawdown yes. eco challenge yes. um, for the month of April. And then we have a fall challenge. Um, so if you feel like it's too late or whenever you're hearing this podcast, we have a big fall challenge coming up as well. Okay. Um, and then we also do custom events throughout the year. So mm-hmm. we've served um, organizations, University of Richmond did a campus-wide um, challenge. So a whole bunch of different things, right. options for, for scaling. But these are the ones challenge. that that just publicly basically put out there. Yeah. So these okay. are free. I'm getting excited. Wide open. I'm already planning to ride my bike in April. I told um, Perfect. we do a lot of house sharing and I've got a number of teenagers in my life. And I got to the point where I couldn't go anywhere on my bicycle because the number of rides that people needed to and from the ferry to get to school, to get home from school, to get to their job, I literally had to be in my car constantly because I was always being called for something. And I told them, I'm like, this is going to kill me. You know, I'm not getting any exercise. I'm, yeah. I'm getting older as I age, and I don't want to do that. I want to get younger as I age. Yeah. So I said, I put a big old sign up like six, like oh, about five weeks ago. I'm like, you have six weeks. April 1st, I'm going back to my bike and I'm not going to have the car with me. And if it's sunny and you're trying to get around and it's not pouring down buckets, you're on your own. So go get yourself a bike, warm up your legs, yeah. and stop calling me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I can't be I'm a with taxi you. driver. I, I am a year-round you know? bike commuter. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, when it's pouring, it's, it's some of the funnest rides. You know, if you have the right gear, you have yes, the right gear. Yes, and that's the thing. Yeah. That's what's so great about this is it inspires a person not just to to think it, wish it, and maybe feel bad about it. But if you uh, if you invest enough energy in something like a challenge platform, you're like, well, okay. Suddenly you get that little burst of yeah. of excitement, and now you're like, okay, what outfit do I need? Do I need lights? Do I need whatever it is? Yeah. And you have the energy necessary to make it possible for it to be realistic. Yeah. And then you do it long enough, it becomes that habit, and now it's become easy. Yeah. And yeah. we want it to be fun. You know, mm-hmm. we want change to be fun. And and so that's definitely um, a shared, uh, 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 that's definitely a shared characteristic of discussion courses and eco challenge is that it's about bringing people together. And with eco challenge, uh, we also have a social feed. So people are posting about their successes, mm-hmm. about their challenges, uploading videos and 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 pictures we had tens of thousands of of 
feed posts last year in our 2017 fall eco challenge. Um, so it's, it's just a lot of fun to be able to say, all right, I'm going to try this mm -hmm. and I'm having fun maybe with my coworkers and we've challenged another, you know, department or a, so tell us really specifically about drawdown and what's so amazing. Yeah. So what drawdown is about is over the course of the last few years, uh, several hundred researchers from all across the world got together and they were looking at what are the top solutions for reversing global warming. So reducing mm -hmm. or um, being able to take carbon out of the atmosphere. They So they all got together, did a bunch of work, and they came up with the top 100 solutions mm -hmm. that they've mapped and modeled. And the exciting thing about that is, is it's not only about the book, but it goes into the future. So say mm -hmm. there's new technology around solar panels. They can now bring that into the model and we get to see where do we want to invest our money and where in mm -hmm. the, in the lens that they're taking is, and you'll hear more about them next yes. week. Yes. Um, but they're looking at economic feasibility and they're looking at existing technology that we have right now. So these are solutions that we can do today. And, and there's a difference because everyone has of course seen the quote list of what I can do to make things better. And, and we are going to talk about this in um in the interview more specifically with the drawdown yeah. folks but um so basically there's something very different about how this book presents than what a lot of previous books present yeah it's it's actually the first of its kind mm -hmm. and you would think we've been trying to address climate change for for decades now and we never had this tool um, so it's very exciting. And what we approach them with is to say, you've done the research, you have these solutions, let's use the Eco Challenge platform to bring those to life so that individuals, groups, organizations can take action on these solutions. Right. And I, I highly recommend everybody pick up a copy or check it out at your local mm -hmm. library because you might be surprised by some of these solutions. Um, one of the sectors that they address are women and girls. So mm -hmm. educating young girls, um, working on family planning is w in the top it's, 10 right. of addressing climate change. Right. Food, uh, addressing food waste, um, looking at more of a plant-based diet. It's not to say you have to become vegetarian, but even um, just a little bit more of a plant-based diet has huge implications. So what we've done is say you have these solutions. Um, they span a number of different categories. Let's design actions that everybody can take. And you might find that some actions, such as in transportation, that biking to work is something that's very easy for us to do. And it's something we can do in our everyday life. But some of the other solutions that, because it is a global focus, um, we might find that if we really want to contribute to these top solutions, we got to do it with our wallet. So some of these are mm -hmm. uh, actions that you can do, say, uh, clean uh, cook stoves that mm -hmm. are used in many developing countries um, across the world, the best thing you can do in that first, learn about it. Second, contribute so that you can provide a clean cook stove for right. someone out so there. Right, so people are not having to cut down on the forest to burn, to cook over. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So, so the challenge is coming up in April. It launches April 4th, did you say? Yes. All so, right, okay. And people can go to the website. This is Northwest Earth Institute. Uh, folks, and that's nwei.org. Is there another place you'd recommend they go? Yes. So the direct link for this event uh, is drawdown.ecochallenge.org. 
Okay, so that's the event, the online event site. Um, you can register right away. Um, as I said earlier, we have a community team that you can join if you're mm -hmm. just an individual. Um, you can create your own team. Mm -hmm. uh, right I, I, at the moment, we have a few thousand people registered. I think around 450 teams created, mm -hmm. spanning uh, over 50 countries, all all 50 states. So basically, if you're listening to this show right now, if you are at all concerned about the effects of climate change on planet Earth and all the living beings that exist, and you would like to participate with other people and get excited, enthusiastic, and um, motivated, and feel like you have the ability to make a true difference, you would go to drawdown.ecochallenge.org. And this is like NaNoWriMo for writers. Writers get this because, man, we're all miserable for an entire month trying to write a book, but we have all of our friends that are with us, and we're all like comparing notes. And so this is going to be a cool thing to do in the month of April. Yes, yes. All right. Brilliant. Awesome. I am so glad you came to the island today. Me too. This has been um, such a delight. Yeah. Yay. All right. So that's our show, folks. My name is March Twisdale. You've been listening to my interview with David Masek who is the executive director of Northwest Earth Institute. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. On Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, all of my guests show up and they share how they hope to inspire positive change in the world, one reader, one listener at a time. And now you get to go out into the world and do the same thing. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.